Well, happy Father's Day again. Uh, you know, Father's Day, like many uh, of our holidays, have mixed feelings for a lot of us. I didn't ever really understand that until I'd lost my mom and my dad. And I began to realize every one of these kind of holidays, I have kind of a mixture of emotion. Uh, because uh, there's the joy of knowing the, the dad that I had and, and that God gave me. And then there's the sadness that he's not here anymore, right? And I didn't have the perfect father either. And so there's, there's those different emotions. I think about my mom. My mom, uh, did never, uh, she never knew her dad, uh, uh, for, well, at least for very long. He, uh, 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 he and his, his, my, my mom's mom and dad divorced uh, when she was in first grade. And that was back in the uh, 30s when, you know, that thing just didn't happen as often as it does today. And so my mom, they moved to Texas and, and she uh, grew up in a single parent home and they lived in, in, in basic poverty in a two room house, not a two bedroom house, a two room house. One was the kitchen and served as that, had no running water. And the other one, and you can imagine no sinks inside. I mean, it just, you think about that impact, an outdoor, you know, uh, uh, toilet. And uh, it impacted the way she grew up. And I remember that when uh, near the end of her life, and when she was getting dementia, one of the things that she said on a number of occasions uh, is, I always wish I had a dad. And I was just thinking, wow, you know, it just made me sad for her. And, and yet one of the things that I, I had sung at her funeral and that we sang together at her funeral was Good, Good Father. Because she did have a good, good father, a heavenly father. It just wasn't a father here uh, on, the, on this earth. Uh, he had other things that were more important to him than family. And so I think about the fact that sitting here, being online, we think about the fact that some of us had great fathers. And I want to encourage you, if you had a good father, I want you to get on your knees sometime today and just thank God. That's a blessing, Right? And even that good, good, that good father you had, he wasn't perfect. He had his issues too. In fact, I'm convinced that probably all of us need to go to counseling for whatever our dads did to us, you know. And, <laughs> and as, as a dad, I think, you know, I, uh, my poor son, you know, I, I just, you think about that and you think, okay, there, that's the good side. Some of you didn't have a good father. You're like my mom that, that either abandoned the family or he chased after other things. And, and so... You didn't have a great relationship with, with dad. And so days like this are kind of hard for you. And in fact, the interesting thing is, is many times our view of God is in part our view of our dad. And, and so if you had a good dad, well, you may have a good positive view of God. And if you had a bad dad, your view isn't quite so positive. And so when I thought about that, I thought about the fact that I know that John Eldridge wrote, wrote a book called Wild at Heart read it a number of years ago, and I don't agree with everything that he said, but he had some really good insights, and one of the things he talks about is a father wound. This father wound, and it's a, an emotional thing, it's a wound that happens because dad is either absent, and so you don't have him, or he's present, and he's very, uh, he creates uh, pain in your life. And I was thinking, you know, probably all of us have a little bit of a father wound because our dad's not perfect. Some, it's a gaping hole. A gaping wound. And in some cases, it's not been dealt with in life. 
And, it, and it's triggered, that father wound is triggered by a lot of different things in life where all of a sudden you feel some of the feelings you felt when you were a little kid. Feeling of rejection or not being worth, worthy or not being respected or whatever. In fact, I was reading, uh, I, I saw this one uh, guy named John Burnside. He said, uh, the father wound is, uh, 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 he said, my father was one of those men who sit in a room and you can feel it, the simmer. The sense of some unpredictable force that might at any time break loose and do something terrible. I was going, wow. How many may have faced that in their life? Well, I was thinking about how God has blessed me uh, with the, the dad that I had. And uh, the picture may not be completely clear. Oh, it's, it's clearer than it is on my screen. That's good. Uh, I, uh, I was going to give us some other pictures, but somehow I've lost some of the pictures on my, uh, when I changed computers, and so i got to figure that out. But I had this one. This is the one on my desk. My wife gave it to me a number of years ago after my dad had passed. And the look on his face, you know he's up to something. He's not just smiling. You see that, that hand that's around my side? Uh, he's doing something there. He's already pressed it in and, I, and he's either just kind of grabbing tight or he's getting ready to try to, you know, tickle me or whatever it is he's trying to do. And he's just got that look. And I think, I love that look on my dad's face. You know, because that's, that's one of the positive things. Yeah, my dad was a brilliant man. Uh, uh, I always felt, in fact, my brother took after him and his brilliance. And so I always felt like, well, what happened to me? You know, I was a son that came along later, you know, and, and uh, uh, my older, my dad was great in mathematics. My brother was great in mathematics. So I meant to become a music major, non-competing area. <laughs> that way I didn't have to compete, right? Although there's a lot of mathematics in, uh, in music, but, but um, uh, my dad was a guy that uh, was, uh, he would not lie for you. He was honest as the day is long. There were guys that tried to get him to say certain things. And he just wouldn't, he wouldn't say them. I, I mean, I praise God. He was just a guy that, that cared about honesty. He was a guy that wasn't all that spiritual of a man. I wish he would have been more spiritual. I wish I had had better conversations with him spiritually because I could have used his insight from times to times. And, I, and interestingly, the last five years of his life, we were doing a read through the New Testament one year and, and we bought these Zondervan New Testaments and, and they had the dates on each of the pages. And so I sent my mom and dad a copy and just said, hey, we're doing this at our church. Why don't you join us? And they did. First time my dad had ever read through the New Testament. And we had some great conversations every weekend when I called him on my cell phone, because we only had free weekends at that time. Uh, I got a chance to, he had these questions that, hey, what about this? I, I don't understand why this and that. And then the next year he read the whole Bible. And, and for the last five years of his life, he read the Bible every year. And I had some wonderful conversations spiritually with him. And yet there were lots of things that he didn't understand. It was, uh, and, and I wish that he would have had more uh, to share on that, we, uh, he loved to fish. In fact, when, after he retired, they moved up to New Mexico and got a trailer uh, in Ute Park, New Mexico. And, and, they, and, and we would go up there uh, and spend our, one, of, one week of our vacation uh, up there with them. And, and we'd fish all week. And it was just a wonderful week, spending that time with my dad undistracted. He was, he traveled a lot. He was in the oil field and, and, and was a logging engineer. And so they would go and figure out whether a hole had oil or not. And, and so he would, he might be gone a week at a time. And so those vacation times were precious to me 
when we were growing up, he'd take all three weeks of his vacation all at the same time, and I just got time with dad. That, those times were wonderful. My dad was someone who um, was stubborn as the day is long. You could get into an argument with him, and he was not budging at all. And, uh, uh, and, and, and I remember, you know, as the young buck coming on, you know, growing up, I mean, we, we had some of these, you know, where we, we locked horns. And uh, in fact, I remember a time that, that was like that. And we locked horns. I was in college and it was on a Sunday morning and, and, and I was, you know, stubborn myself. And so we, were, we just kind of walked away from the conversation. And, and, I, and we went to church that morning and I'm sitting in the seat behind him kind of stewing and steaming a little bit and he was just quiet and, and uh, mom and, and uh, one of my siblings was in the car too and, and we get to church and I'm on the same side as he is and I get out and I don't look at him, I look down and he gets out and he just says, son, don't let your old man push you around and that meant the world to me because I felt respected I felt cared about. I felt like he understood and that he was, he was uh, allowing me uh, an opinion without trying to force his upon me. And so I, 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 I love the guy that, that God gave me as my dad. Uh, now, he, uh, one thing I, I got to tell you, he didn't have an in, inside voice. <laughs> Whenever he talked to you, everybody heard his voice. And somehow I didn't get that. I, my voice is a lot more quiet than his. But I, I thought about, you know, what did I learn from my dad? What are some of the lessons that I learned from my dad? And I was thinking about how, you know, I, I, I don't know that I can always say, well, it was this and this and that. But there were some things that over time, just being around the guy, I just picked up. And it helped me when I read a couple of quotes this week as I was thinking about this message John Wooden, who was the uh, UCLA, famous UCLA basketball coach, said, being a role model is the most powerful form of educating. Too often fathers neglect it because they get so caught up in making a living, they forget to make a life. And I was thinking, wow, how convicting is that? But then kind of fitting with that, a guy named Umberto Eco, and I'm not sure who this guy is, but I love this quote. He says, I believe that we become what we become depends on what our fathers teach us at odd moments when they aren't trying to teach us we are formed by little scraps of wisdom I was thinking how, how just living life our kids pick up and we pick up things from our dads whether we wanted to or not well God cares about the parent-child relationship he cares about it enough that in Malachi, and I, you may want to turn to Malachi. It's not going to be our main passage this morning, but it's going to be a big secondary pack, passage. Malachi 4, 6. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. It's right. I mean, you can turn. If you know where Matthew is, just go back one page and you're there. In Malachi 4, 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Very powerful passage in Passover. Every year, Jewish families will take and save a chair for Elijah because of this passage. Because they believe that he's coming. That Elijah is coming. Jesus said that John the Baptist was Elijah. And that he was the one 
that would, would fulfill. And in, in Luke's gospel, you see that. We'll turn to that in a minute. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking about how of all the things and you think about John the Baptist coming. You think about John the Baptist coming as to be a herald of Christ. And so this passage is really focused on the coming of the Messiah indirectly. Now think about that. If you were to write this passage and you were to say, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, he will, what would you fill in the blank? Would you say, he will do away with injustice? He will, he will bring his kingdom. He will come and rule. I mean, you think about all these things that you would fill in the blanks on that. Would you have put, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children? I mean, of all the things that, that God could have said here, he said, that is the most important thing that happens. That's going to be a key thing that happens during that time. And why does he say that? Because it's noticeable by its absence in our world. It doesn't happen often enough. And, I, and I've looked at that, and it's, it's at the hearts of the fathers, and fathers is plural, so is it talking about parents, mother and, mother and dad? Or is it talking specifically about the fathers? I don't know that I can answer that. It certainly applies to fathers. And may apply to both, and I think it may be. In other words, the family unit coming together. That, and, and, and the interesting thing is, as I was reading it also, that stood out to me, and it was something that I, I didn't find commentaries really answering to my satisfaction or even addressing in some cases. That the question is, the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, is it just being a reciprocal thing here, or is it sequential? If it's sequential, it means the hearts of the fathers turn to the children first. And then the kids responding in response to the parents. And I think that that may be the case because in Luke's gospel, in Luke 1.17, Luke only quotes the first part and doesn't quote the second. Why would that be significant? Because the second is going to naturally happen if the first occurs. But interestingly, in Luke's gospel, uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 16, he talks about the hearts of the fathers turned toward God, and then the hearts of the fathers turned toward children. And I think that's the sequence of events. We turn our hearts toward God, and then we turn our hearts to our families, that, we, that our hearts are like a magnet drawn toward home. And that our hearts become a heart magnet for our children and for, our, for those who are in our home. That their hearts are drawn to our heart. The hearts turn toward. And that's what happens. And, and so I just thought this magnetic thing that happens in the homes, God delights in. God desires. And when John the Baptist came, my question is, did that happen? Well, he started the process. And it can only happen as we're related to Jesus Christ. 
And he causes that to happen in our hearts because we aren't naturally, that isn't something we naturally do. Our hearts are normally drawn to ourselves first rather than to the Lord first or to our families first. And, I, and they're turned toward our careers first rather than our families. I mean, you see how it can go and we realize, wow, that's why it gets messed up. That our hearts need to be turned toward home and they need to become magnets that, that draw people to ourselves and to the Lord. And it's interesting that, that it's, it says that he turns our hearts of the fathers, not the mind of the fathers, not the career of the fathers, not the, he turns the heart. It changes our heart. It's got to go from here to here. It can't just stay here. There's a, there's a word in, in the uh, Greek text that's, that's for experiential knowledge. Gnosko. There's a word for academic knowledge, oida. God wants us to have gnosko in our lives. He wants us to not only just know intellectually and academically things about the Bible. He doesn't want us just to be able to spout Bible verses and, and quote verses and be able to. He wants it to transform our lives. He wants it to go from here to here. The longest distance in the world is from here to here. From what we know to what we do and how we live. And God wants that to happen in us. He wants us to change. He wants us to be different. And the reason that he's, he speaks to fathers in this case, and we're going to look at a little, another passage that talks about how this works, is that he wants the father to, to, to set the tone. He wants the fathers who might be pursuing career to say, wait a minute, mom, her heart's going to be in the home naturally. We want you, your heart to be in the home too. We want you to be focused on the spiritual lives of the people around you and not just live life and not just feel like being a provider, you've done your job. Scripture says, no, there's a higher standard here. There's a greater standard. And so when we look at that, and then, then we look at Luke chapter 1, it says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And so it's that focus on, on, on fathers turning toward children, fathers spending time with them, heart, the heart being a magnet. Well, the question is, okay, that's the what. Hearts turned toward the children. Children's hearts turn toward their fathers. And in some cases that may need, mean that that second part may need forgiveness. It may mean that you have to forgive first. There's a thing about forgiveness I want to say something about. I wasn't planning to say this, but I think it's really important. We don't need to wait for somebody to ask for forgiveness to give forgiveness. Jesus, when he was on the cross and he was being crucified, remember one of the things that he said from the cross? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We, we quote that all the time, except we only quote the last part. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> right? That's what we do in the world, that's what we do to other people. You know, uh, what, They don't know what the heck they're doing. And then we get mad at them. No, Father, forgive them 
for they do not know what they do. Nobody, nobody was telling Jesus, hey, I'm sorry. Sorry, we put you on the cross. He's up there. Nobody's asking. He's offering. We don't have, if we're going to be like Jesus, we don't have to wait for somebody to ask us. And in fact, many times, at least half the time, maybe more than that, people aren't going to be asking. And we're kind of going, I ain't going to forgive them. I'm going to just be. You know, and there we are. And the trouble is, is when we do that, we are in bondage to whatever it is they did to us. And we're keeping ourselves in bondage. Jesus says, you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. He tells us to forgive as he's forgiven us. How has he forgiven us? Without asking, he's forgiven. And we're supposed to forgive in that way. What you know is when you do, it will set you free. God's forgiveness sets us free. And so forgive. Take that step. Today, sometime, forgive your father. Forgive your mother for whatever it is that you think that they did to you that was unfair, unjust, unrighteous, whatever it was. Forgive them. And you will be set free. Jesus promises it. You shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. And it's not just intellectual knowledge. You know it. I, okay, I know the truth. I'm not set free yet until I've experienced it. It's like I don't experience salvation by just knowing that Jesus saves. It's when I put my faith in Jesus that Jesus saves. And it goes from just an intellectual understanding to a life application into my heart. And then it changes me. Then I'm no longer the same. And you will be completely different. Well, I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians is a, is a great book. And it gives us some insights into how we can be who God has intended for us to be in regard to a father, a mother, someone who influences others in a church family. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 2 and verse, verses 9 to 12, and especially uh, verse 11, 10 and 11. But I... I uh, uh, or especially 12, I mean. Um, I want us to think about this book. It was written 20 years after Jesus died, or less than 20 years after Jesus died. Paul wrote it from Corinth. He on his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16 and 17, we see him travel from Philippi, first church that he planted in Europe to Thessalonica, second church that he planted in Europe and then Athens in Greece and uh, he mentions two of those here in this book in fact he mentions Philippi in chapter 2 and verse 2 he says but though we have already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi as you know and so they were treated shamefully at Philippi they went to Thessalonica some people from Philippi came there and then shamefully treated them there they went to Athens 
And here in Athens, we see in chapter 3, in verse 1, it says that they, he, they were left behind in Athens. They sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on them, to check on the church. Why did he want to check on the church? Because there was something going on. And what was going on was they were being attacked. They were being accused of wrong things. And we know that because in chapter 2, he says, Our coming to you was not in vain. Verse uh, 1. He says, We came to declare the gospel of God to you in conflict, in, in the midst of much conflict. Three, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive. And then you realize, okay, that's what he's being accused of. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men. And then he goes on in five, not because of flattery, not because of greed. Verse six, not did we seek glory. And in fact, in, in chapter one, he says in verse five, you know what kind of men we prove to be among, uh, you, uh, be among you for your sake. He says, you know what kind of, we're being accused of these things, but you know the kind of person that we are. You have experienced it. In fact, you've experienced it so much it transformed your life, and that's what chapter one's all about. I put the word you before chapter one and the, church, the word our in, in front of chapter two because he's giving their testimony in chapter one, and then he's giving his testimony, how he ministered to them. And notice what he says happened in their lives. And he's telling them, you just think about it for a minute. Here's what happened in your life. This is what God has done in you. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Remembering before our God, your Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. There it is, faith, hope, and love, right? Then he goes on and says, verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord and you received the word in much affliction. Verse 7, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, the word of God has sounded forth from you. All these different from you, from you, or from you. In verse 9, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. And he's, he's saying, here's what happened in your life. Think about how God has transformed you, how he's changed you, how he's made you different. And then is chapter 2 when he begins to say, but notice, he says, remember, says, we didn't do this from greed. We didn't do this from flattery. We didn't do this to please men. And then he says how they did respond. But, verse 7, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Verse uh, 11 for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so he says, we weren't greedy. We weren't involved in those things. He says, here's how we came among you as a mother and as a father. And the picture of a mother as a nursing mother is one, this nurturing care for a person. And then as a father, speaking truth into their lives. And, it, and, he, and it, when I looked at those, I thought, is that the, doesn't a father do nurturing sometimes? Yes. Doesn't a mother speak into their lives spiritual truth? Yes. But he focuses on these things and, just, and helps them to see this picture of, of how they responded to them. And that's why I, I, I was looking at chapter 
2 and, and 1 Thessalonians and thinking about Father's Day and thinking, here's some things he tells us that we need to have in our lives. Dads, we need to have this in our life. Every one of us, we need to have this in our life. It's not just for dad to do, it's for all of us to do. But dad especially needs to be doing this. He says in verse 10, you are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you. Those three words right there are all participles. You could put an I-N-G on the end of them. Exhorting, encouraging, charging. So what's the main verb? Our conduct. Our conduct was exhorting, encouraging, and charging. Now when I was looking at that, this, this passage, uh, if you look at different versions, and you may have different, a different version than, than mine. Mine reads those three words. If you have an NIV 84, it's encouraging, comforting, and urging. You're going to go, wow, that's different. The King James, exhorted, comforted, and charged. Well, the charged is the same as the ESV, but you look in the New American Standard, exhorting, encouraging, imploring. And you kind of go, man, they, they're struggling with these three words. Why are they struggling with translating these words? And why are these different translations coming out so different? That's because the words are very similar. And let's talk about them. In fact, when I looked at it, I, I looked at, it really is saying encouraging, encouraging, and testifying. Those are the words that are, that are used. And you go, what? Encouraging, encouraging, testifying. Why is he repeating himself? That first word we exhorted, that's translated, that I translate encouraging, is, uh, is the word parakaleo. It refers to the Holy Spirit many times. That I will send you another parakaleo. I will send you another comforter, another helper is the way it's translated. So I'll send you this, this one that's like the Holy Spirit. That's, what, that's the word that he's using here. And, and those who were looking at the Greek had to think, oh, that's the word that's used to the Holy Spirit. So somehow we're supposed to reflect the Holy Spirit in our lives in regard to comforting or, or encouragement. And so it's this idea that we encourage those who may be discouraged. And it's easy to get discouraged in this life, isn't it? It's easy to come to the point where you, you get discouraged in your faith and you're really struggling and wondering, how am I going to go on? And you need somebody to come along, a person of faith, say it's going to be all right. We're going to get through this. And uh, don't worry about it. Stop fretting. God's not fretting. Let's, let's go together. I'm with you. I, we're going to get this together. And they ride on your faith. Because you're believing God for what he's going to do next in your life. And when I thought of that, I, I, here's the picture that came to mind. Have you ever seen uh, a, a statistical analysis of when people draft after somebody else? In biking, you see their bikes. I mean, they're right up there. Their front wheel's right up next to your back wheel. Why is that? Because the guy in the front, he's taking all the brunt of the wind hitting him. And so he's got 100% of a effort to, in order to, to make that, that, uh, that ride. But the guy right next to him has almost 30% less energy is expended. And then the guy behind him and those ones behind him, even less. 
And it's that person in front and that we learn to draft on somebody else's faith. And I know that there are times when I've drafted on the faith of mentors of mine, uh, of my wife's faith, where I'm struggling and she says, we're going to make it through this and she's ready to move forward. And I say, okay, I'm with you. But I know that my, my, I'm not as strong as she is at that point or vice versa. Sometimes it happens the other way where I say, we can do this. Let's move forward. She's a little doubtful. We move forward and, it, and, and God works and we watch his hand work. There's times where we need to draft on the faith of those around us because we're struggling. And we need those people around us. We need them as, as parents. We need them as friends that, that will come alongside. That's why we need to be a part of a small group. That's why we need to be connected to our parents. Another passage that comes to mind in terms of kind of drafting on the faith of others is in Ephesians chapter 6. And it talks about the shield of faith. Have you ever thought about the shield of faith? Do you know what shield it is? Is it the little round shield or is it the big door shield, that it, the word that he uses? Do you know? How many of you think it's the big door shield? How many of you think it's the little round shield where you're doing a battle? How many of you don't really care one way? Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I was, I've, I've studied this all my life. I've known it's the great big door shield, right? And I didn't understand the significance of it until I saw this picture. That's how the Romans used that big door shield. They put the ones on top so that when the arrows were coming, they would just bounce off. Flaming arrows bounce off. And you remember that picture that he talks about the flaming arrows of Satan and they're bouncing off. Or they're, if they're the leather shield, they would stick in, but they would not penetrate. And this was their turtle formation. And it was like a tank moving along. It was hard to stop because they could just march right up to a wall and people couldn't, couldn't break it. It was tough to break. And the people in front, their shields are protecting the people in back. And the people on top are protecting not only themselves, but the person in front and the person in back of them. And the thing that I realize, shield of faith, my faith is not intended just for me. It's intended for you. And your faith is intended for me. And that I draft on your faith. I'm protected by your faith. I'm stirred by your faith. And when you say, we can do this, God is going to work through this. I go, okay, yeah, let's go. And I'm a little bit hesitant, but let's go because I know that we're banking on your faith. Or you know that I'm banking, that you're banking on mine. And so I thought about this idea of encouragement. That we encourage the belief of another person is the picture I think is in mind here and in view here. And that means that we come up with affirming words. That we don't just talk in negative terms. And it's easy to talk in negative terms. I was thinking about that as I, I did a memorial service yesterday for a guy named Ray Mitchell, a good friend of mine that I've known his, the family for about 40 years. And I was thinking about how, how we struggle in our, in our own faith and, and, and how we struggle with, with those kind of moments. And that we need the affirming faith words of others in those times to help get us through to understand we have a good heavenly father and that we don't have to understand why he was taken at 53 that God is still good and not just for that guy he's good for us as well and that we stir one another's faith and that we encourage one another's faith and that God will help me through that time 
And so when we think about what we say, we need to have things that we say to our family that stirs their faith instead of discourages their faith. Paul said in regard to death, we think of death as a negative thing. Paul said in regard to death, it's better by far to be with Jesus. We think of death as negative. Jesus was saying, I mean, Paul was saying, man, I I can't wait. I'm having a hard time deciding to stay here or to go and be with Christ for that is much better. And I think, wow, what a statement of faith that completely blows away our view of death. We need to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching that when there's difficulty in this life, we go in through pandemics and other things in our world that we encourage each other to be people of faith and not to look at the negative side of things but to look at God's opportunities that he's providing for us now. So we have affirming words, words that draw us to faith. I want to encourage you, I don't know where you are in that, if you don't have a great and strong repertoire of affirming words, then I want you to develop it. In fact, I had a list here that I found uh, that came from John Trent, I believe, uh, uh, in a a site called Men of Action. He says, uh, these are just statements, he says, that can brighten a person's day and encourage uh, our children. He says, I'm proud of you. Way to go. Bingo. You did it. Magnificent. I knew you could do it. What a great helper. You're very special to me. I trust you. What a treasure. Hooray for you. Beautiful work. You're a real trooper. Well done. That's so creative. I mean, those need to be in your repertoire. And he's got a whole list more. You're responsible. You remembered. You're the best. You sure tried hard. I've got to hand it to you. That those become the phrases that we say instead of going, well, finally. <laughs> I've been waiting for years for you to do that. You know, I mean, that's not very encouraging, right? You just want to go, done. Uh, We need to have encouraging words. And then the second word for encouraging is encouraging. In fact, the, uh, the, the, it's, uh, it's this word that exhorted, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, this in the ESV, uh, the statement is uh, that I was uh, that, that got my attention. It says, "Cheering up someone to the point that they are ready to get back on a task and give their energy to a task." It says this word carries the same idea of encouragement with the emphasis on activity. So the first word, encourage to believe. The second is encourage to do. To encourage to to get back on the horse, you fell off, you had a failure, no big deal. That's your learning time. That's part of the education. Now let's get back on the horse and let's move forward. Let's trust the Lord. Let's step out. Let's trust him. And so it carries that idea of, of encouragement. Then there's the idea, the third word there of um we uh, encouraged, uh, we exhorted, we encouraged, and we charged you. That one was the one I was struggling with the most because it uses the word that would transliterate into the English for martyr. Marturion is the word. I mean, it's almost directly, you know, straight out of the, uh, out of the Greek. Martyr, we get our Greek word martyr from that. The one who testifies. And I realized it's this idea of my own testimony what God has done in my life in this particular area. So I encourage faith. 
I encourage activity and then I let them know here's where I struggled with this and here's how I came out and here's how I got through it. And I thought that needs to be part of our what we do with one another. And I know there's times where we say, well, here's how it happened in my life and you're gonna get, you know you're going to get back. Well, your situation was completely different. Yeah, well, it may have been different, but here's how God did this in my life. All the same. And there's times where I wish I would have listened to more of those from my dad. When I kind of blew him off, when I kind of thought, well, your situation's different or you don't understand or whatever. And he was telling me something out of experience, out of his experience, out of his life that I wish I would have listened to. And my encouragement is, listen, if your dad is still around, listen to him. Because he's not as stupid as you think he is. My dad got a whole lot smarter once I had a child. I can tell you that. Imagine how quickly he became smarter. Um, Because sometimes we need that will to carry on. We need to hear the testimony of someone else. I read this story about a guy named Douglas who was 15 years old. He found out that he had leukemia. And he was completely depressed because of that finding that out. And, and, and he had the best care and the best hospital care all around him in order to help him. And he was still depressed. And his aunt decided to buy him some flowers. And you kind of think, you know, a guy with flowers, you know, not exactly what you would think would encourage someone, right? But it just felt like that's what she should do. So she bought flowers and had them sent to him as a guy. But it wasn't the flowers that encouraged him. It was the note that he received. The note he received came from the florist. Because they told the florist that he had leukemia. And that's why she was buying the flowers for him. Here's the note she got from the florist. Douglas, I took your order. I work at Brie Florist. I had leukemia when I was seven years old. I'm 22 years old right now. Good luck. My heart goes out to you sincerely, Laura Bradley. That perked him up. Hearing the testimony of someone else encouraged his heart. And it helped him as he goes through, went through the next three years of chemo. To stand strong and to know here's somebody who went through what I went through at about the time that I went through it or even younger and survived to tell about it. And it gave him hope. Sometimes we need to hear the story that somebody else has to say. And we don't know how it's going to impact the person around us. And what is the purpose of all this? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I was thinking about that. He doesn't say what that is. How, what is that manner? And so I, I looked up another uh, a bunch of passages in the regard to this. And uh, I just want to go through them really briefly. Um, if I can get them to show up. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. So walking worthy in a manner worthy. And I took the word walking in the truth. So taking the scriptures and beginning to understand them and beginning to not just know them, oida, intellectual, academic, to live them out in our life. For it to go from here to here to change and transform our life. Um, The next one. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. That we walk in love. You see at the end there. So we're walking in love. So when I walk in love, when I walk uh, according to the truth, 
This one, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So read the Gospels. Take time to read the Gospels and see how Jesus walked, how he related to people, how he responded to them. He, he met with anybody. He, he was accused of, of being a friend of sinners, uh, a, a, a friend of those who were not the best in society. It's because he loved everybody. And he reached out to everybody. He, he met people that are not like himself. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So we walk in light. We don't walk in darkness. We don't walk hiding things in our lives. He says, I urge you to live in a worthy of your calling. You think, oh, look, there's one worthy of your calling. How is that? Humble, gentle, patient, forbearing, unifying, uh, unity of the spirit, peace. You take all of those things. Those are part of walking worthy, the worthy walk, that we're humble, we're gentle, we're patient, we're uni we, we seek unity, we seek peace. Um, and then this final one here. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I'm sure that word knowledge there is gnosko, which is uh, experiential knowledge, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So we need spiritual wisdom. It's not just doing it on our own. We need to trust the Lord and we need to walk with him. That's what the spiritual life is all about. And so I want to encourage you today. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord, but I want to encourage you to begin to think, how can I be an encourager of other, someone else's faith? What are the affirming phrases? And, and I may, maybe you need to start making a list of those things so that you can begin to practice them or say them. Affirming uh, words, affirming activity that you, you come alongside and say, hey, I'm going to help you with this. Uh, we need to get back on the horse. Don't just give up. Let's, let's move forward. And you begin to help them, encourage them to activity. Or that you begin to think in your life, what are some things that I can share that would encourage another person? And it may be a difficulty I face that I've been quiet about and, and I need to not be quiet because scripture talks about that we comfort one another with the comfort with which we've been comforted by God in 2 Corinthians 1. So how, what is your testimony that you can share with someone else? And let's be those who make a difference and that we make that difference in the spiritual walks of other people that we're willing to talk about, have spiritual conversations, not just talking about what's going on in the pandemic or anything else that's, in, that's, that's written, uh, but you begin to have spiritual conversations with those around you, spiritual conversations in your family, that you ask important questions and you listen. You don't just tell people what to believe. You ask questions and you listen to where they are. And then you have these great conversations. I think far too many times we just are telling other people what to believe rather than listening and then engaging those conversations that become encouragement and life transforming. Father, we come before you this morning and we just thank you for who you are and how you've transformed us. Father, we admit that we're not transformed nearly as far as we need to be. And so we ask for spiritual wisdom and insight so that we can grow in our walks with you. Father, I pray that you would transform and change us, that you would help us to be those who forgive those around us, forgive our fathers if we need to, so that we're set free and we begin to live in the way that you want us to live. Father, I pray that if someone here needs to do that, that's what they would do today is the application. They would forgive their father.
or forgive their mother. Father, I pray that if, uh, uh, that, that if what they need to do is become more affirming and less discouraging to those around them, that they would begin to learn phrases that build up rather than tear down. Lord, I pray that we would always come alongside and encourage people who have failed, who have fallen, to get back up to get back on the horse, to get back in the direction that they need to go, that we would be those kinds of encouragers. Father, I pray that we'd be willing to share out of our own lives, even when we think it's not that significant, because we don't know who we might impact, like that girl Laura did in that, in that kid Douglas's life. Lord, help us to be that Laura in, in Douglas's life, that Douglas around us that needs encouragement, that needs to, to hear the, how God worked in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would be those that would speak and be willing to have spiritual conversations, not just talking about the other things we're doing in life, but that we'd talk about you. That would be, we'd be willing to break the ice on some of those and ask people where they are spiritually or what they think about God or just some of those statements that would draw a person's heart toward you. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would help us to grow in you and to be the kind of people you desire and delight for us to be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.